I'm going to ask uh, Putin to come on up. I mean, Brian Pulliam. Uh, Blue Tick. Found out a new nickname. His name Blue Tick. That's his CB call name. But uh, I love Brian, and I'm really excited to hear uh, what Brian's going to share this morning, what God's put on his heart. I've already gotten tidbits of it uh, before our uh, we had men's gathering yesterday, and I'm, I'm really stoked about it. But um, Brian's a great friend. So thankful for he and Laura and their family to be part of the awakening. And I'm just going to pray and uh, give it over to you, man. Lord, just thank you that Brian's hidden in Christ. And Lord, that he's covered by the shadow of your wings. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that he preaches from that place and your words come from that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I'm going to have to have a seat for this one. Um, this is my first slide of the show, of the talk. Um, and I, I usually like to just leave it blank. Um, well, I felt led to leave this blank because I knew God was going to do something and he was just inviting me to be a part of what he's doing. And, um, for a while God's been putting in my heart Malachi 4. Let me read that. For he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. That's what he's doing. We have the orphan spirit in our hearts. We're born with that. And God's restoring us back to him. I had no idea we're doing a baby, baby dedication today. Um, I had no idea the song line up about the wonder of God, about no longer being a slave to fear, about sitting at the table, and all these things are right in line with what God's been revealing to me and to share with you today. And so it's just confirmation to me that it's not about us, it's just about us stepping out and let, us, let God use us. It's not about my strength, for it's in my strength, I am weak. In my weakness, he is strong. And uh, I just encourage you all just to... Um, just to open your hearts to hear what God is having to say, not what I'm having to say. And, Father, I just pray that if, if anything I say comes from me, that he protects it from your heart. And, anything, and what is from him goes deep and is transformational in our hearts. Um, springtime. Life born and lived in three-part being. I, I just... This season, I just love this season where it's, it's the new growth. Um, things are being born from the dead, coming out. Seeds are coming out of the ground from the dead and sprouting life. And then we have fruit that bears more life that's being produced during this time. And it's, and it's no, no coincidence that that's when our Savior rises from the dead, out of the dead to produce his life and fruit for more life. And it's just... Um, I, I, God has given me just this, this mind of wonder. I, just, I, I, I always think there's more to it. There's more to it. I remember when I was little, I used to think that there was hidden passages in my house, that if I could just find them, that I would, I would press the button, and all of a sudden I would have this, like, passageway to this fun place that was there all along. And um, so we'd always go, one of our biggest games was to go and try to find Bigfoot in the woods. It was just a sense of adventure and, like, 
and, and go try to find treasure that's buried in the woods. And so I just, I'm, when I became a believer, a true believer, God just really began to show me that he is so amazing and so present that it's so much more than a meeting on Sunday. It's in life. It's all around us. Scripture says the heavens and the earth are proclaiming God's glory day and night. What is God's glory? Nothing is more glorious than God. God's glory is his identity. And the heavens and the earth are proclaiming who God is. So no matter if you're on an island and no one's around you to tell you, God's reaching out to you because he wants you to know him more than the greatest saint that ever walked this earth wants you to know him. God is reaching you where you are. And I just want us to hear that. I just want us to know that. And the world is trying to tell us differently. The world is trying to tell us a lie and trying to keep us in a place of want and keep us in this orphan spirit. And the cool thing about, like, when I say I, 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 God just, like, shows me some weird stuff. That means, that means a lot to me. And I see it, and it means a lot. And, and I may share some of that with you, and God may say, no, 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 let's not do that. But so I just leave that to him. So when I see it, uh, you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach at Athens Academy, and, um, and I believe that developing a person is mind, body, and spirit. We're three-part beings, mind, body, and spirit. And Scripture points to that all throughout um, the books. And so what we see with that, the, 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 all throughout cultures, we see that water represents the mind, and blood represents the body, and breath or air the wind, God's breathed into Adam, represents the spirit. So we see water, blood, and spirit, and we have this birth process in life. As we saw this baby that was born up here today, the water broke. Then blood as it came out of the canal. And then when the doctor gave it spanking, it took its first breath. And life, free will was born. Then we have the birth of the earth. God covered it in the days of Noah with water. He covered it in blood on Calvary. And then he filled it with his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then we have Christ's ministry, his surrender. He surrendered to the baptism. He surrendered his body to be broken. Not broken. But his blood to be spilled. And then he surrendered his spirit to the Father. And Paul introduces us introduces the world to the birth of the Spirit through his letters in Romans. And, um, you know, Travis's message or hint for this is to, you know, keep it simple. And um, I guess God had different plans. We're going to go through the book of Romans today. So, um, and it's not going to be my strength. This is um, God's. And um, so we've heard this saying, all roads lead to Rome. The meaning of this is all paths lead to the same goal. It's very ironic that Paul's letter to the Romans says a whole different story. There's one path that leads to glory. There's one path that leads to life, and that's through Jesus Christ. The book of Romans. The author is Paul. He's writing to the Romans. Romans at the time is the capital of the known world. It's not like you're writing to the capital in Atlanta for Georgia or the Washington, D.C., you're writing to the capital of the known world. And this occurred, and uh, he, he was writing actually 
Greek city of Corinth, which is a lot like Paris. You can imagine him in this tower looking over the city and seeing the ways of the world all lived out below him. And he's writing, saying, I gotta get the message of truth out to the Romans. That's the center hub of what's gonna be sent out to the world. And it's a lot like Athens today. We're a sending out place. We're a place where people come for universities and knowledge, and we can provide for them true knowledge about truth and how to live life to the full. This was three years after Nero took the uh, throne of the Roman Empire before the great persecution happening about 10 years later, the fires of Rome and that sort of thing. Um, So Christians were in a pretty good place at this time. But Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit and inspired, sums up the gospel in his magnum opus. It's a theological masterpiece. The greatest theologian of all time writes his greatest book of all time. And there was a story one time about this, um, this guy sending, a, sending his, um, a letter of instruction to one of his um, colleagues. And it was a long, long, long letter, 12 pages long. And at the end, he apologizes for the length of the letter. And he said, I'm sorry for such a long letter, but I didn't have time to write a short one. And it takes, it takes that, it takes God to simplify all of Scripture in one book. Wow, he did it. He did it. Sometimes it's referred to gospel according to Paul. It is seeing the Old Testament through the eyes of the cross. We see chapters 1 through 11 cover the doctrine, the Christian doctrine. What is true past, present, and future about God and man. And then we have chapters 12 through 16, the practical application of living out the life God intends of mankind. We gotta stay on this one for a little bit, I guess. There we go. All right, so this slide's a little wonky. Um, It got adjusted, but we got it. So, highlights of Paul's letter to the Romans. We have, in chapter 1 through 8, we have faith covered. It is the depravity of humanity, grace of God, justification through faith. This is covered. We have, this is another three-part structure. We have hope. Chapters 9 through 11 brings righteousness, right relating to. That's what righteousness is, is relating rightly or in right standing with. Both to to Israel, the Jews, and the world, the Gentiles, through the person of Jesus. And then we have love, chapter 12 through 16. How to apply his righteousness in practical ways throughout our lives through the power of his spirit within us. This is all summed up in um, one of the, my favorite books. You know, it's really ironic. One time I was um, going to preach on Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I'm going to talk about today. And I, had, I was going to FCA, not preach, but I was going to talk to FCA group. And I had it. And I, it, was, it was nailed down. I would spent all day long talking about this and, and, and breaking it out. I was, it was going to be awesome. And, but it was coming from a place of an orphan. I was coming on something that we got sacrificed for God. We got to go out. We got to do. It was coming from this place of we got to do it. 
And through that brokenness, Laura, my wife, who was not my wife at the time, said, have you ever read uh, 1 Corinthians 13? So I went back and looked at it. And that's what I talked on. Because what it says, you can have all these righteousness. You can, you can have faith to move mountains. You can have, do every, give everything to the poor. But if you have not love, you have nothing. It is all for nothing. And Paul sums it up right here. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so we see that theme throughout the Romans, the letter to the Romans. We have, again, the mind representing the water, which represents faith, place our belief in Christ. We have um, the body representing the blood, which is hope, eternal life through Christ. And then we have the spirit, which is breath, which is love. The spirit of God in us, the author of love. First John says that God is love. He's within us, and that's lived out. And the you know, cool thing, too, the ironic thing about this is, is this, this 1 Corinthians 13, it's used for marriage ceremonies all the time. And that's exactly what we have. We have this, 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 this ceremony of God restoring the church back to Christ. And so we see there is this introduction, the mind being introduced to who God is and who we are and where we stand. And then just like, just like and I'll go through this in a, in, a, in a relationship situation, the introduction, the, the plans, and then we have the future, right, the relationship. And that's what's lived out in those three parts. So just like with my wife, we would introduce ourselves to each other and figure out who, who each other is. And, we'd, and then we'd make plans to get together again. And in that there was hope. And then we'd make a covenant, which would be the relationship. And that's the self-sacrificial of me laying down my will continually for her laying down her will for me. And so it's not, it's not we say I do and we go about our own way. It is a continual process of laying ourselves down for the other. So we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, from I do to I am. And that's God in us. He said, I am. And what we see is he's in us. And here, this has always been my favorite verse passages, but I, I, I never really realized how significant they were in transitioning from the doctrine to living it out. And this is what Paul is saying right here is like, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's go through these two verses. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of this time talking about these two verses and how it applies. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies. So basically what he said through the first 11 chapters is like, I'm telling you who God is and how great he is. So therefore... You have a choice. The choice allows love to exist. All the other gods in, the, in those times didn't allow choices. But God has always, from the very beginning, the fall of Satan come out of a choice. The fall of man come out of a choice. And we may think it sounds good to have our spouse to be a robot that knows everything that we want 
and can't say no. But there's no relationship without sacrificing your own will for another's. In light of humanity's fallen condition and God's unimaginable redemptive work through Jesus Christ, it is a great deal for you to place your lives in the hands of the author of life so that you may truly live. So this is not some sacrifice that we're talking about. We're going to give up everything so that one day we can cash in on something, this celestial fire insurance policy that most people try to sell. This is like, how do you live now? God created us for a purpose now, to be his co-laborers, to be his children, to share in his glory. That relationship was designed to exist, not just make a decision so one day you can live. Yes, it'll be better then because we'll see in full, and now we see in part. But right now we have a mission, we have a plan. And in Matthew, um, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God is like this, and he explains how it's not some sacrifice on our part, but a good deal. He says that the kingdom of God and a kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Now what that means was he now owns everything he dug up in that field. So he went and sold his little hut, bought this piece of land that no one saw anything on, but he knew there was treasure there. So he didn't sacrifice. He just made a good business decision, right? And that's what we have the opportunity to do. We're not sacrificing anything. The, wor the world tells us this is how we live, and we try to live that way. But God says, no, this is life. So exchange that which is dead for what is living. That's our opportunity. And that's what Romans 12:1 says. Living sacrifice. Again, a relationship is about two beings mutually sacrificing for each other. That's what a relationship is. God's done his part. He's made the sacrifice for us. All he's asking us is us to put our hands back in his so that we can share in that relationship for his glory. You know, the problem with a living sacrifice is a lot of times it continues wants to crawl off the altar. And that's what we do sometimes. We have to continually every day put ourselves back at the foot of the cross, not out of our own duty, but out of the, abund the abundance God has given us and the opportunity God has given us to truly live. So Romans 12, 2, our fallen condition. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. It's talking about being made, being, being molded by, being shaped by. So what's happening all around us, we're being shaped and conditioned. The world is telling us what success looks like. The world is telling us what marriage should look like. The world's telling us what relationships should look like. The world's telling you what you should look like. The world's telling us what God looks like. And it's all a lie. It's all a lie. We're going to see that. So it's trying to, it's trying to mold us into this, this person that we were never designed to be. And there's no life in that. The way of the world is very seductive. Um, It'd be really easy, and I, we mentioned this last night at our meeting, it'd just be really easy for if Satan walked in the door with his uh, red coat and pitchfork. We'd recognize him right off the bat, right? But said he presents himself as Murphy's Law, right? 
Everything that can go bad will go bad. And other little seductive ways and, and things that, that we believe that we don't even realize that are lies from the pit of hell. And so it's really, it's about turning, and we're going to see that. I'm going to go through this one again. Or the pattern of the world, the orphan spirit. Satan, the adversary, is the prince of the air, the accuser of God's children, the first spiritual orphan. Um, a while back, I just felt this, this, um, this desire to like invite some people just to read together in a book. And then I just asked God, what, what um, book is it that you want me to read and us to read? And, he, and this orphan spirit came to mind. And so I typed in orphan spirit, and it was a book that came out. This book here, um, Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship by Jack Frost. And we went through it, and we're going through it together, just some buddies, and, and, and it's just been awesome. Just how central this spirit is to the fall of mankind. And um, just to see how God is using that in our own lives. And so we understand that it comes from evil. It comes from a lie. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus talking about the accuser. And the accuser tries to, tries to vent to convince us that he does not exist. Yeah, somebody, that's the great, devil's greatest trick, to convince the world he doesn't exist. Satan cannot true, create truth. He cannot create. He can only distort to deceive. And that's what he tries to do. He tries to take. God created us to share in his sonship and daughters, to be his children, and he turned us into orphans. Satan mainly deals with us through powers, principalities, and the compounding effects of sin, direct, indirect, and generational. If I cheat on my wife, that directly affects me and affects her and her view of man, our children's view of marriage, their children's view, unless we surrender that thought to God. Then he can restore that. That's the pattern of the world that's being affected. Alcoholism is passed down through DNA. There is a pattern. Other things that God has created us not to be in bondage to, we're in bondage to by the, by the world we're around, they're in, by the sins that were before us, and by the deception of the principalities of the world. So God created us to be his sons and daughters. The adversary introduced us the opposite, to think and act from the heart of an orphan. This is the fall. We're born separate from our father. We're all spiritual orphans without God. We're born that way because of the fall. No matter if we have a great family, we have the seed of the spirit of an orphan in us. The biscuit story. Travis tells a story, and I love it, um, and I'll probably butcher it, but um, it just it paints a good picture of, of what this, this seductive thinking looks like. We have a table set before us, and at the table there's children and there's orphans. And in the kitchen, Mama's cooking chicken up to fry, and she's got bacon, and bacon on the stove, and she's got biscuits in the oven. And the aroma of the hungry children, they can smell the biscuits, smell the biscuits, smell the biscuits, and they're just waiting for the biscuits. And mom brings the big basket out first, like Cracker Barrel, and puts them down on the table. And the kids sit there. 
the orphans scramble and stuff their face and start shoving biscuits in their pockets. And the children look at the orphans, and one child says to the orphans, what are you doing? And the orphan says, but you better get them or they'll be gone. And the child says, mom can make more. And so the children are living in a place of abundance and security. The orphan is living in a place of lack. And if I don't get it, it won't be available. I have to, it's me, it's dog eat dog. It's me versus you. That's the way of the world. And we look and we see this, these commodities all throughout. It's like the way of the world promises you these worldly things, power. Well, power is gained by power being taken. If everybody was powerful, who would be powerful, right? Popularity only exists because you're more popular than them. Money is a scarcity. It's only, why is not sand used instead of gold? Because gold is actually scarce. And so all of these things, and the more money I have, the less others can have because it's a scarcity. The reality is that. And the more popularity I have, the less others can have. But in the kingdom of God, we see the fruits of the Spirit that are in Galatians 5, and the commodity of the kingdom is abundance, is wisdom, is power, is love, is self-control. And the more wisdom I have, it doesn't take away from anyone's wisdom. It gives them wisdom. The more love I have, others can have. And so we see that this, this, these, these things are totally different. One, we have almost like a, a negative neutron just pulling in and the other we have this positive proton just emitting giving 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 because we're gonna get more back and that's us we're to live in that sonship of just giving giving being a positive force because we're full there we go (laughs) so born without the orphan spirit There's two accounts of humans born without the orphan spirit, and it was in the Garden of Eden, and it was Jesus Christ. These are only incidences. And ironically, I don't think it's ironically, um, interestingly, there are two accounts of Satan directly tempting mankind to instill an orphan heart. Only two did Satan approach man in the Garden of Eden and Jesus in the desert. There was another time when he was talking There's only three conversations we see that Satan directly having. It was in Job when he was approaching God on the behalf, asking for permission. Can he deceive Job? Can he take away from Job? And he didn't have to go to Job. He just used his surroundings. He just used the world because he knew Job already had in him the seed of the orphan spirit. And all he had to do was nurture it, water it take away the things that Job thought brought him life. And he thought Job then would give birth to death. But Job, because of his faith in God, said that all things point to the glory of God. I'll worship you always. And, and the interesting thing about this, it shows that the, the God's like how amazing God is and the wonder is, is Satan took away everything. He took away his possessions. He took away his children. But God promised him he's going to give double back to him. And God did that. All his possessions were doubled. Say he had 1,000 cows. When he got back, he had 2,000. God gave him 2,000 back. Right? And everything else was the same. But for his children, he had seven sons and three daughters. And when he got back, he didn't get 20 children. He only got 10. And we're like, God, you said you would double it. 
My children were taken away. But what we have right there is in eternity, Job now has 20 children. So we see the eternal presence of the Spirit that's going to live on. Our possessions are going to die away, but the eternal spirits that we all have will last forever. So Satan attacks the great two commandments, devotion to God and devotion to children, as children. Eve in the garden, his attack on God's identity. Who's your father? Jesus in the desert, he attacks on how humans are to live life to the fullest. God's co-labor or your own way? Who are you as children? God's purpose attacked. God created Eve to be the father of his children, to, pr- to produce co-laborers, to be- produce more sons and daughters throughout the earth. Satan used her to birth sin into the earth. See how he takes things and distorts them. And, and the cool thing about it, and this is one of those weird things, and, and I, I do think I can go there. Um, you, ever, you ever see a sperm cell? It looks like a snake, right? It's got a tail and it's got a head on it. And that head is where the message is. And so the serpent came to Eve and spoke his truth into Eve, and then sin, the fall, was born. The fall was actually born through God. Satan Satan can't create anything. He mimics and distorts. And then we see Jesus on the Father's mission to be the Savior of the world, and, and Satan tries to turn him up to be on his own mission and to follow him. Exploring the contrasting narratives. So we have... Um, Tozer says that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us because you're going to spend your life responding to that image. So Satan tries to attack that from the very beginning. In the first temptation story, we see now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals uh, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, she tried to speak for God right here. And we talked about this the last time I, I actually, or not the last time, but one of the others, but it's just so central. Um, we, may meet, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. See, there we have Eve entering in the first religious duty. See, God didn't say you can't touch it. He just said you can't eat it. So Eve tried to protect us from the parameter God had set and created another parameter. And that's what religion does is another one's inside that and another one's inside that. And before you know it, we're boxed in by religion and we can deceive ourselves. You will surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God loves, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so basically what he says there is God can't be trusted. He's holding something back from you. He, doesn't, he needs you to be weaker than him so that he can be mighty. He's saying that God is absent. He's saying that God um, is lying. And when the woman saw the fruit of the uh, tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, I believe right there, I believe she touched it for the first time and didn't die. And she had created a, a thought that God said don't touch it. 
And so when she touched it, she didn't die, but God never said that. She deceived herself, and Satan used that. He used her religion to turn her against him. <laughs> so Satan's distorted image of God is distant. And we as believers can have this. We can have this image. And we, have to, we, we, we may think God is love and God is good and God is all those things, but he is more loving than we can imagine. He is better than we can imagine. He is more powerful, more perfect than we can imagine. So we have to take our image before him back to the cross to let Jesus show us more of that. He says we're di- he's distant. We must fend for ourselves. Um, he's untrustworthy. He's weak. Denying us from truly living. Jesus' narrative. God was not deceived and carried out his, in this mission, or Satan, Jesus did. So we have here, Jesus is all that is true about God and his creation. Hebrews 1.3 said, son, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Now, see, we, we, we think sometimes, Satan tries to make us think sometimes that Jesus is just a side of God. That there's this other God that's the evil God. He's going to get you. He's waiting to judge you. But no, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So what does Satan say, or what, sorry, what does Jesus say about God? Jesus reveals the true image of God. He's present. He's full of love and provision for us. And about present, he's closer than a brother. He's, he's all around us. All that is good, he's perfect, all-powerful and sovereign will go to any lengths to rescue us back to his, our positions as his beloved children. How different the garden encounter would have been if Eve would have held on to that in the forefront of her mind. It would have been squashed in the very beginning when he said, didn't God say? And she could have said, I don't know, Daddy, what did you say? And it's over. Just like a stranger in a store tries to deceive my child and says, do you want this candy? And she says, Daddy, can I have that candy? And she de- he doesn't, we don't allow, when, when Satan tries to take us away from God's presence to deceive us, to make us feel like the orphans that he's trying. So here's what he says about us. God revealed by faith or by the fall and God revealed by Jesus. And that's us, by the way, there holding on to his right hand. And you can see if it wasn't for that hand, that baby's going down. That is a bad step. But because of that help, Because of that help, it can walk, and that's us. Satan's narrative about us, you're an orphan, fend for yourself. No one, especially God, wants wants you unless you're powerful in the world's eyes. Temptation to Jesus. This is how he approached Jesus. Um, He looked at the, he attacked the core commodities uh, of the world in exchange for his allegiance. He said to Jesus, provide for your basic needs. If you are the son, command these stones. Jesus was hungry to turn to bread. Feed your body. By obeying me, you can provide for yourself. If you don't, who will? 
protection, cast thyself down. By following me, you can control God and decide what is right or wrong. You don't, don't you want to have control over your life? Don't you want to be about your mission? And then power, all the kingdoms in the world I will give you. This is what Satan, how he tempted Jesus. By worshiping me and submitting to my ways, I will give you power to rule over the world. Don't you want great success in the world's eyes? There we go. So the adversary's narrative of you're an orphan. Your father doesn't love you. You're alone. If it's to be, it's up to me. The desires of the flesh deserve to be tended to. What you feel is the truth. Not what God says is the truth. You can decide what is right or wrong. There is no absolute truth. It's about our mission. This is what he's telling us. There's no absolute truth. And how many times do we hear that? That in of itself is a lie. There is no absolute truth. So you're saying there's one, that there is no absolute truth. It's like me saying everything I'm telling you is a lie. Is me, that statement the lie or everything else? It falls on itself. You see that? There, there is an absolute truth. And we have to surrender to that. We need to make a name for ourselves to matter. We have to earn love. The way is to rule over others. Our feelings and or what the world thinks and says about us is the truth. How often do we fall into that? When somebody from a bad spirit, a bad place comes and attacks us, how easy is it for us to believe that's true and to feel that we're alone and to feel that we don't matter? It is so easy and it's all around us. And it wasn't this devil with a pitchfork. It was our friend. So Jesus' narrative, he's the perfect revelation of Father. Romans 8, where faith turns to hope and births love. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are those, are the children of God. For the Spirit you have received does not make you slaves. I'm no longer a slave to fear. So that you can live, so that you... So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And we cry. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Which means it's like a baby crying out for their daddy. Total dependence and love. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with his Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may have also, we may share in his glory. And I think right there, it's important to know that the world is going to make us suffer for trying to follow Christ. It's going to come against us and tell us you're, you're all these lies. And, and, and we're not, we're going to have to wait on truth to be revealed. So this is what Jesus says, the truth about us. In Christ, you are God's beloved children and dear friends. He will never leave or forsake you. We are God's co-laborers. We matter because we, ma we matter to him.
So how do you see yourself? An orphan? Fear with no inheritance, stress, unrest, and feeling of lack. It's all about us and our mission. Child of God. Unconditional love with an abundant inheritance, peace, rest, and wholeness. Co-laborers of God on his mission. It's real easy from day to day for that to change and moment to moment. Whether you've been a believer for 20 years or you're not a believer at all. So it says to, we got we to gotta be transformed. And we see here this transformation of this garden. You can't just build that gazebo right in the middle of that stuff. There's snakes in there. Right? So remove, you have to remove. And so we have to renew. We need to, we, if you think like an orphan, you would act like an orphan. That's from the book. And, and the way... Take away the old ways of thinking that lead our actions, the victim mentality, the Murphy's Law. We've got to take that away. Take away old actions that feed our thoughts, the hustle and bustle of life. We've got to create some solitude, some margin, some space in our life so that we can hear God. Matthew, I tell you the truth, unless you become like this child, like a little children, you will not know me. And basically when a child, he surrenders to his daddy and his authority, and he gives into that. And that's where he draws his life. And it's a daily process. It truly is. So we've got to allow God to reprogram us. What we, what we think about ourselves gets trumped by what God says about us. What we think about others gets trumps what God says about them. So what we think about our enemy gets trumped by what God says about our enemy. They're beloved children of mine. What we think about God gets trumped by what he says about himself. Choose to believe the promises regardless of our circumstance. Let the Holy Spirit work. He's going to reveal to us the truth and everything Jesus said. And so it's through his word, through his children, and through his spirit that God changes our heart. The other day, I was having a really bad day. It was nothing wrong. It was just kind of weather like this where it was raining, and, and I'm very sensitive to light. And, and when it's gloomy, I feel gloomy a lot of times. And, and so I was, Laura sent me this text and said, how's your day? And I, I responded back that it, it's, it's not good. I'm I'm blessed. I'm just trying to feel that way. And so, but maybe the lesson in that is that we lived out being blessed regardless of how we feel. And I think that's what happened. I went home and I just collapsed down in my chair on my hands and knees and put my face in the chair and just started praying. And I was like, God, I don't even know what to pray. I just feel crappy. I just want to go to bed. I don't want to be around anybody. And I'm a coach and I have to go and just lead kids. And I know if I go and do that, it's going to be a curse on them. Because I'm when I'm feeling moody and, and bad, it's, it's really, Laura, she's got a face, she knows. It's really quick. It can change quick. And I can speak harshly when, when I'm in that place. And so I just prayed. And I was like, God, I don't even know what to pray. And, and all of a sudden, my mouth just started going 90 to nothing. And I realized I was speaking in tongues. And, and I grew up Pentecostal church, and, and I was always really resistant to that because it was something that was actually used 
or I didn't really understand, but it was used kind of as a mark that we've arrived. And so there's a lot of pride involved in it and that sort of thing. So I just kind of had this like, just kind of stiff-armed it, you know. But when I cried out and said, God, I don't know what to pray, my spirit began to pray, and it was this language. And I just, and it was awesome. And I was weeping and speaking this language just like rapid fire. It was just going nuts. And I was like blown away by it. And I stood up, and it was still raining. And I still had to go to work. And I didn't feel any better. But I know for a fact I was not a curse that day. That I know for a fact I was a blessing that day. And there was something holding me up. It's like in our profession, we talk about, we talk about injury prevention and, and strength conditioning. When you train, you, prevented, you prevent injuries. We don't know how many injuries were prevented, do we? We just have faith that training will prevent injuries. So prayer will prevent calamity. And so that is, that is what I got to experience that day, and it was really awesome. And I have over here, before we leave, these exercises um, about how to mold our mind. And there's three handouts that go over um, our identity in Christ, that go over what the contrast of the orphan spirit looks like, and then also um, some words of encouragement where we can use and wield the spirit um, and God's word. And then I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Hang with me. Um, so... Test and approve what God's will is. How do you sail? For as, you, as he thinks, this is what Proverbs says, within himself, so he is. There was a day when we thought the world was round or, or, square, or whatever, flat. And, and, and actually I found out people still do think it's flat. It's really odd. But, um, so, and so what that did was it actually prevented people from sailing a certain way. They sailed parallel to the shore because they were afraid of falling off the end of the earth, right? And so they sailed parallel to the shore, and then one day we had the revelation that the world is round, and it changed the way we could sail. But you had to think. I could just see them now in their boats when they're sailing. Yeah, we have faith. We have the numbers. It's round. But all of them are like this. There's nobody sleeping. They're peering like, is it really going to fall? Is it going to be over? And then as they reached their destination, they were walking out faith. And as they reached their destination, the next time they know they can reach their destination. And the next time they have truth to know that. So how we sail reveals our truths. And it would be really hard for me to be convinced by the person who says, yes, I believe the new revelation that the world is round. But I'm going to sail like this because I don't want to fall off that. You don't really believe. And when you're walking as a orphan, and you say you believe you have a father, we don't really believe it. So as we walk the truth, regardless if we're totally convinced about it, we find out it is indeed true, and fear loses its stronghold in our lives. And it is a good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is awesome. God's will for us is to is first relational, then commissional. He wants us to be sons before we can be fathers. He wants us to be children before we can help others become a child. So understand God's identity through the lens of the cross. Through Jesus, we are his beloved children, not in want. Be his child. Commission, spread his news that he wants to adopt everyone as his sons and daughters and totally vanquish the orphan spirit. Help others become children. Be on his mission, not our mission, not our ministry. 
See, Satan used purposes for God. Like he, he tried to convince Jesus, jump off this because that will bring glory to God. He, the world will see you be rescued by him. But Jesus said, no, you told me that. He didn't. So if he told me that, it would bring him glory. And so that's where it is. What is our mission? Who's telling us to get on our mission? All right, family time. This is my story right here. Um, so let me go back. There we go. So um, this, we, I decided we're going to have this. I kind of graded myself one day. I was driving down the road, and I was like, you know, if I could go back to college, I would do a lot better than I did. I just smart enough to know how to play the system and get by. And so I was like, but if I could go back, I would, like, just, I would dominate it. I would just, like, really focus. And then I started thinking, well, how am I doing now? So I started seeing all my core responsibilities in my life as classes. And I was like, ooh, I'm kind of doing the same thing. And then I started thinking, am I taking too many classes? Like as a dad, how do I grade out? As a husband, how do I grade out? As a friend, as a church member, as a brother and sister, how do I grade out? Am I saying yes to too many things? And then what did it look like to get an A in those classes? And one of the things that come from that was this idea of family time. I said, all right, so... I have a job that I'm choosing to do right now so that we can have time with our children. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Outside of also being called to be in it, I do think that one of the reasons I'm there is to have the summers off with my child so I could be in, in, in their lives, so I can have afternoons off so they can see me during the day. And so that is greater to me than all the other stuff. And so, but what I, I want to do is make sure that we're making use of that time. So I was like, what are we doing to be intentional with that time? So I said, after school, we're going to have family time, and we're going to take 20 to 30 minutes, and we're just going to look at each other if we don't have anything to say. I'm going to stare our kids in the eyes if we don't have anything to say. And we're going to put away the iPhones and put away all those things, and they're going to remember these 20 minutes of us turning to each other and giving each other attention. Well, we did this, first, and we said we're going to do it Sunday through Thursday. And the first night, it was terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible. And so the, um, the, we, we, we had this time, and we didn't really, it was just kind of blah. And, and, and so it was time to go to bed, and then Ella was stressed out because she didn't finish her homework because of family time. And so she's crying and screaming. Like when she gets stressed out, it's like, an, it's like a switch that gets hit. And so she's in bed screaming, and, and our other daughter's in the other room saying, what in the world is going, like, just very confused. I was like, it's family time. It's family time. But um, so, yeah, <laughs> tomorrow night, <laughs> be back. So um, anyway, so I just shut the door. I was like, she's got to cry that out. And as I'm going by, I hear, everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. And it just struck my spirit. That's a lie from hell. That is the spirit of the orphan trying to rock her to sleep tonight. And I stopped and went in that room and I said, Ella, what is coming out your mouth is a lie from hell. That is a lie. Here's who you are. And I began to pray with her. And immediately, well, when I first come in and I just, ah, that is a lie. And she just stopped and was like, it was immediate. And then, but then there was this peace as I began to pray. And my wife came in, and Alexis Morris had, had written this, um, had, well, I'll go back, had, um, 
we had had, uh, we do something in church called Popcorn Prophecy. And so people will come up and God and people will prophesy over them words of encouragement, truths about them. And we had done this for the children a while back. And Ella was up here and people spoke these words and we had them recorded. And Laura had Alexis um, make this picture with their name on it and those words around it. And Laura grabbed that down from the wall and went over and said, this is who you are. And started praying those words, started praying those words. So you see that body that God, and this was in Christmas when we gave this to her, this way before that, when she got those words. But God has surrounded her, and he used the body, and he used truth, and he used prayer to transform what was going to rock her to sleep as an orphan, to revolutionize her as a, as a daughter. And what happened, she set up. And we have these Bible verses that my wife does with them. And she set up and she said, as I'm walking out the door, she said, Dad, I remember my Bible verse. She has a really good memory, but she couldn't get it for some reason. And this is what she said, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That was her Bible verse. And she couldn't get that out of her head. She couldn't get it in her head because she was, had that lie going. And it was an awesome thing. And what really struck me was this, was like, Thank you, Satan, for trying to attack this night. Because if you hadn't, it wouldn't have turned into that. You can't defeat us. Everything you try to do gets turned back on you. You try to take her identity, and we got to plant seeds of her real identity. And so that is the power. We have no fear. There is no fear, no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry. Again, it's the gates of hell that are trembling in fear. They're, they're camped out over there because they know we've already won the battle and we're about to tear those gates down. And we're, our warfare is prayer and truth and walking that out so the world can see it. And there they are. You can you see the see the uh, the words around it circulating around it, and one of those words on Ella's <laughs> this is awesome is lover of the orphan, lover of the orphan. So therefore, the gospel is indeed good news. We were born with an orphan spirit, in a world seduced by the first spiritual orphan. God is a loving daddy that longs for our adoption as his beloved children. Through his son, Jesus, our adoption is free and available. He is inviting us to stop being enslaved by the orphan spirit within us and around us. And to stop striving to earn our inheritance. He is inviting us to take our place as his sons and daughters through our faith in Jesus Christ to share in his abundant inheritance. He is inviting us to be free of fear and to be free to love and be loved and to become who we were created to be, his co-laboring children, living our lives, expanding the heavenly family, the kingdom of God to our neighbors and throughout the world. You're not an orphan. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. 
I will hold you up with my victor, victorious right hand. That's the truth about us. God is present. God loves us. He likes us. He's in a good mood. He won. He just wants us to believe that and stop being changed and conformed and molded by the lies that are around us to try to prevent from knowing that. So I didn't plan on this, but I just really feel like it was just on my heart. Travis, would you mind coming up and doing a baby dedication for all of us? And read through the baby dedication for us. So whatever you need to do just to receive this, if you want to come down front, you can. If you want to stand up, open your hands up or just sit, that's fine. But just get into a place of receiving this, a posture of receiving it, however you feel led to do that. I just do this by the authority of Jesus. He says salvation doesn't come through Moses, who was a servant. It comes through his son in Hebrews. And so I call your spirit to attention in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I bless you with identity and legitimacy. God made you special. Crafted and created and designed by God your Father. He planned for you. You are no accident. Your Father made you beautiful and beloved. I bless you with knowledge of your purpose. And I bless you with being everything God designed you to be. I bless you with fulfilling your purpose and carrying out God's work with honor, peace, and joy. I bless you with knowing that God fights for you. Father God intended for you to rest in peace as he takes care of your enemies. I bless you with your ways being so pleasing to the Lord in such a profound way that your enemies will live at peace with you and seek out your God. I bless you with an awareness of God's presence. I bless you with the great joy that comes from the presence of God, sensing him watching over your life. I bless you with the ability to trust God. I bless you with experiencing your father's faithfulness, his faithful love towards you, for your emotions to be aware, to know, to savor, to feel, to relish the love your Father expresses towards you. I bless you with the joy of the Lord. I bless you with knowing so profoundly the pleasure he has in you that the opposition of other people means nothing. I bless you in the name of the laughing God of Zephaniah 3.17. I bless you as an obedient child. I bless you with the joy of obedience and realizing that obedience is a joy and not a bondage. I bless you with the unique joy of obeying your Father in great detail because you are motivated by love. I bless your place in the new generation who will blot out the old bondage of legalism and the world will see you in the complete merging of obedience and love. I bless you with favor in your walk. 
I bless you with favor with the authorities and favor in the marketplace. And I bless you with favor even with people who are enemies of Christ and the cross. I bless you with freedom from the fear of man. And I bless you with going to the word of God and seeing specific promises he has made to you, standing on them and savoring the joy, security, and excitement that comes when your father answers your prayers based on specific promises. I bless you with such confidence in your identity as a child of God that you can truly say, if God is for me, who can be against me? I bless you with hunger for God, and I bless you with having a fresh manifestation of the power of God in your day. I bless you with igniting such a measure of hunger and holiness in your family, your community, and your nation that many will experience a visitation of God. I bless you to find God's word and eat it, and it will become the joy and delight of your heart. I bless you with strength in your spirit for each day. I bless you with meeting God daily, spirit to spirit. And I bless you to be born again and receive the spirit of life. I bless you to have Christ dwell in your heart through faith and to be rooted and grounded in love. I bless you with faith, hope, and love. I bless you with the faith that loving Jesus produces. I bless you, I bless you with being fully satisfied that God is keeping his word to you, no matter how long it takes or how contrary your circumstances may look. I bless you with such a strong sense of standing on a solid rock of God's faithfulness and timing. I bless you with unshakable, irrepressible hope. I bless you with the spirit of wisdom and understanding and for you to have eyes that see and ears that hear. I bless you to be humble, meek, pure in heart and poor in spirit. And I bless you to know that God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. I bless you to know the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you for having the worship team come on up. And we're gonna just worship the one more song and just open up your heart to the Lord just as a son or daughter. The Lord wants to get rid of any jealousy, any comparison, any thoughts that there's not enough for you. When I used to have, one of the, the orphan thoughts that used to dominate my thought life was there's not enough. Like if I saw somebody else prospering, it meant it took away from me. If I saw somebody else doing well in ministry, what ministry do I have? And it's, it's such a lie. I've said it before is that all you got to do is just walk downtown Athens and know there's plenty of ministry to go around, much less the world. And so you... It's just a lie and the comparison of yourself to other people, that's, that's the orphan spirit. I don't want my kids, I don't want jo Josiah saying, I wish I was like, did this like Lydia. I don't want him saying that. God's the same way. And so we're gonna worship to one more song. If our, I want our ministry team to come on up, stand to the side and if you want just continued prayer, you're like, I feel like, God wants to break off, like this to be a breakthrough day for you and really breaking that spirit and, and starting a new journey with the Lord and then come and receive prayer um, from our ministry team. I'd be happy to pray with you as well. But we're also, uh, um, if you're coming down for that purpose, for God to break off just the orphan spirit in a new pro profound way, a deeper level, we want to anoint you with oil as well. So come down and receive further ministry as we worship. You can stand up.